people obviously have the fear of not having a guaranteed income because a lot of time with yoga teachers, you don't know how much you're going to be making and you could stay at a certain income level, but there's so much opportunity for growth. So it really takes believing in yourself and believing in your creative abilities, I think. Crystal, thank you for coming on to talk to everyone about your, your travels. And What's the biggest pain point yoga instructors have around you know, making that their, their main source of income or building a life around being a yoga instructor? And how did you overcome that? Um, I think anything in the spiritual community where it comes to making profit it's always kind of a difficult topic because we genuinely want to help people, but at the same time, we still want to live well and survive. So there's kind of, you have to figure out what you think, what you're offering is worth and not feel bad about asking for it. So that was something I struggled with for a while. And then I put in the years of practice and acquiring knowledge. And I got to the point where I felt like, Hey, I'm really, offering something of value here so and I do want to help people but I also want to be successful in my life so I think it's coming to a point where you're okay you know your worth and you're okay asking for that and yeah a main thing for me like people obviously have the fear of not having a guaranteed income because a lot of time with yoga teachers you don't know how much you're going to be making and you could stay at a certain income level, but there's so much opportunity for growth. So it really takes believing in yourself and believing in your creative abilities, I think. Yeah, that's, that sounds, it sounds basic now, but I feel like unless you know, you're coming from maybe a sales background or some sort of hardcore business background, it'd be hard to really get used to the idea of believing in your value and being comfortable charging it. Mm-hmm. Um, like a lot think- of- oh, go ahead. Sorry. Um, a lot of what I did <laughs> as well before I started teaching yoga full time, I really watched what other people were doing too and how they were giving something of value. So I definitely think it's helpful to watch people who are successfully doing what you want to do as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that comes up. (laughs) That comes up in, I would say, 80% of the interviews. In some way, like reverse engineering a part Mm -hmm. of someone's business. Yeah. (laughs) So we talked a little about people having this overwhelming fear of making real life changes do you feel like that's the same fear people have of taking this i guess business mindset and charging for their services and what is it about fear of i guess changing how someone sees themselves that kind of holds people back uh well i definitely think like it starts with how you feel about yourself and if you love yourself and you know that you have something valuable then you know, you can go for it, but also there's that fear and it's a big fear of change too. So people are scared to jump out of something that jump into something with nothing guaranteed. So for me, 
a lot of my big risks I've taken have been, I really had to sit with myself and ask, evaluate the risk, but also ask if it's worth leaving the life I was leading at the time. And most of the time it was because it wasn't, I wasn't leaving, leading my highest purpose and I wasn't happy, but of course we want to be comfortable and we want to be safe, but you have to kind of evaluate and figure out if it's really worth it or not. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, you got to take the leap of faith. <laughs> yeah, that seems like a recurring pattern in a lot of your videos and topics is, you know, overcoming some sort of uh, life challenge. And one thing I think is interesting is you mentioned you had this huge catalyst where you're like, my life has to change. I'm going to go move. I think you said move to the farthest place I can think of, like yeah. go to China, <laughs> live there, completely change everything about your life at once. Uh, I think this was after you said you had some sort of bad relationship. Mm -hmm. Do you think you would have been able to make that change without that catalyst? And what do you suggest for people that maybe don't have this, like they're comfortable, they want to make a change, but they just, there's not that compelling need. Like, what do you, what do you think about that? What do you suggest for people? Uh, I think I would have eventually traveled and pretty much ended up maybe where I'm at close to where I am now. But I definitely think that was a huge catalyst for me to just jump and go for it because I have a tendency to over-evaluate situations and put things off. Like I took five yoga teacher trainings before I got in front of a class. Nice. <laughs> and I, don't, nice. I don't recommend that because, you know, you can just go for it. And then once I went in front of the class, I'm like, I could have done this two years ago. So <laughs> now it's like, yeah. so definitely hard, difficult times push us to make that change faster because we have to make that decision. So, I mean, I honestly say just go for it. <laughs> I think a lot of people, like, I get so many questions on my social media, like, I want to travel, I want to teach yoga like you are, like, how can I do that? And the thing I really just say, like, just go for it. <laughs> like, when I wanted to make that change, I wasn't on social media asking other people how they did it. I was more spending time within myself and figuring out my own unique way to do it and how it'll be best for me to do that. So I think not worrying so much about what other people are doing and figuring out the path for yourself because we're all unique. So it's going to be different for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. There's no way someone can know your own context and what you're working with in your life. Yeah. Mm, that's interesting. So, so yeah, your audience is asking you this. Do you have any really tactical just do this do that advice for the setting up you mentioned setting up clinics and opportunities for you to teach prior to going somewhere so you'll set it up before you're traveling to a city you'll get there you'll teach some of these clinics to have some income how did you start doing that how do you do that because that sounds pretty interesting yeah so again I studied what other people were doing, yoga teachers that I really look up to and their career paths. So I studied that and then I've kind of created my own unique approach to what I can offer people. And then I just started reaching out to everyone I could. So I spend a lot of time researching different events all around the world. So I'll look oh, up 
all kept like conscious festivals and yoga events, um, different yoga studios. And then I'll just reach out to them. And I think a lot of people don't realize how easy that is. I think maybe there's, they don't reach out to people as much because they're worried they might not get a reply or they'll get turned down. But you won't really know unless you do it. And I think a lot of the times you'll be surprised by the response you get. So that was a lot of it, reaching out. And I just study different events. And at the start, I was, and I still do a lot of events for free because it's still basically advertising for me. So you have to kind of look at it from a business perspective where you're not going to make a lot of money from it right away. Even with public speaking, there's a lot of it that you have to offer for free and that, but you're still benefiting it from it in a sense. So at the start, a lot of it was free. And then I started charging for my workshops and things. Once people started knowing who I was and I was networking a lot more. So Sounds like a lot of just hardcore business development. <laughs> a lot of networking, a lot of talking to people. Uh, yeah. I'm guessing you get some of your work from referrals now, or is it all cold outreach? Um, yeah, I get a lot of my work now through social media. Or even right now, I moved to Vancouver, Canada. So oh, nice. I just... I found the Instagram of different studios and then I asked if I, I wrote them on <laughs> everything I do now is like, seems to be on Instagram, but <laughs> I just wrote them there and asked if I could hold workshops and what kind of event, upcoming events they have. So. Nice. Yeah, that's awesome. And you mentioned another thing that I think is difficult for people is you mentioned putting together uh, kind of your, what you could offer people. Uh, whether that's you know your clients, students at an event. So what sort of things do you offer your clients and students and how did you settle into those those offerings? Um, what I'm offering now are mainly lectures and workshops as well as yoga classes. So and I have a list of maybe five or six different ones. And then I'll look at the event or the studio and kind of see what kind of people I think will be there and then choose which one will probably suit them the best at that venue. So <laughs> that's interesting. That's really yeah. interesting. <laughs> it's a lot of work. People think it's, yeah. you know, it's like, seems a lot easier, but there's a lot of work like behind the scenes. <laughs> yeah. No, I just was imagining trying to sort out all the different types of people, like the nuance in yeah. that spirituality community or at these events it must be pretty immense like all the different uh subgroups of people and interests and potential products and, like that's interesting yeah it's really um, deciding how deep i want to go <laughs> yeah because i yeah, can't yeah. go like throw them into throw them in pretty deep right away <laughs> they won't know what's going on so <laughs> yeah you have to make sure you're on the same level as everybody and it's the yeah product. that's that's on stuff uh, for spirituality stuff. So speaking of that stuff, you mentioned that you closely follow some Indian spirituality, uh, Indian spiritual traditions, specifically around the Indian deity Shiva. You follow some of the Indian philosophy related to that deity. So I was wondering if you could talk at all about how you settled on your current spiritual practice and what you do as far as uh, helping other people follow that practice or getting into those practices yeah so I spent 
like since I moved to Asia, I ended up staying there for about five or six years, and I still go back a lot. And I really studied a lot of different ancient belief systems and religions. And once I discovered Kashmir Shaivism, which is a branch of Hinduism, that everything kind of clicked and came together. So that's what I practice now, and I'm teaching Tantra as well. So a big part of that when it comes to Shiva and to the gods and goddesses of Hinduism, um, a lot of what I'm teaching is embodying the divine because my belief system is that God is not outside of us, but within us. We are divine beings. So I'm basically teaching how to come back to your divine essence and embody that. So the gods and goddesses such as Shiva are faces of the divine masculine and feminine which we have within ourselves and by learning about them we can learn how to better manage our own personalities because like each god they have a shadow self and we have a shadow self so once we can recognize that within ourselves then we can learn how to manage it better so a lot of what I'm teaching now is the goddess archetypes and I have a book coming out in September about it actually. And yeah, if you know anything about the archetypes, it's really interesting stuff. So my main focus is on the Hindu archetypes and how people can heal their lives and manage their lives better by working with them. Interesting. Yeah. I've read a lot about, I guess more from a general historical perspective, blending a lot of different, I guess, cultural archetypes from a lot of different cultures. Mm -hmm. Haven't read much about uh, Indian specifically, but that's interesting. Is that, so is that helping people just to see these different patterns in their own behavior or their, their feelings or a combination of both of those things mostly, or what do you think is the biggest benefit to being able to recognize these, these archetypes and these, these shadow sides of these archetypes in yourself? Uh, I definitely think for self-love so, and acceptance. So once we recognize the shadow selves and realize that it's not necessarily a bad thing that we have to shame, but rather something that will kind of always be there, but we can learn how to manage instead of becoming overwhelmed with it. Mm -hmm. I think that's a big thing. And once we can learn to accept all parts of ourselves, so the dark and the light, then we can learn how to love ourselves. And that is really the number one question I get asked the most, how can I love myself more? So that's why I've kind of shifted focus more on this and on the whole self-love movement, because I think it's really important right now. Mm -hmm. What about right now specifically, do you think makes it such an important time for self-love? Um, I think our society's been going one way for a long time and we're starting to wake up and realize it's not working for us. Mm -hmm. And a lot of this is like what I'm teaching is really a shift into the divine feminine. And that's not overpowering the masculine but coming to meet as equals because our society has been masculine for a very long time and this has for men they hide their feelings and this has a lot of effects on them 
like of course they can't express themselves as much and then like i said a lot of things are shamed in our society so our shadows are shamed our sexuality is shamed a lot of things and you know i think we're really starting to wake up now and realize that's not the way it has to be like if you look at my social media i'm pretty open about a lot of things because i think it's important to talk about things that haven't been openly discussed in society in a long time because that's how we're reconnecting and healing so that's super interesting <laughs> so what do you think are the biggest negatives about overemphasis of the masculine for men and then for women do you have a strong opinion on that um i just think mostly it's like being open and sharing our experiences is really big for me so i really share my story as much as i can because the response i got once i started is incredible and i'm just flooded with messages like thank you i've you know i've wanted to talk to someone about this for a long time but no one it can't be openly discussed in my family or friend circle so i wow. think learn yeah learning like how to express our feelings is really big for men and women and not shaming ourselves so for women especially our sexuality because as a young woman i really wasn't taught how to deal with that at all and puberty like i don't think young women or men are really given the proper tools to deal with these big changes in their life it's kind of like hushed and not talked about so i think yeah it's really just learning to express ourselves more and our experiences. That's wild that you have so many people reaching out to you on these like potentially sensitive topics and personal subjects. That I find that interesting too that you said like all these people are saying, oh my friend group, can't discuss this. What are some of the main just general uh, topics that people feel like they just can't discuss with other people? That maybe maybe we wouldn't have guessed. Do you have any that are like that? Uh, well, I get some weird ones, so but <laughs> some, <laughs> some common ones that personally blow my mind because in relationships, I like to be really open, mm -hmm. and I receive a lot of ones where they can't be open with their own partners about things that aren't even to me that big of a deal to you know feel like you have to hide from someone. So. Mm -hmm. I've heard men say that they like hide the fact that they watch porn from their wife. <laughs> and for me, yeah. I feel like you're yeah. sharing a bed and a family and a life with this <laughs> and yeah. you're hiding that you're in the other room hiding something. So like, I don't know, things like that just blow my mind because you're sharing a life together. And I think this is the way we've been raised to hide like anything like that from our partners or friends. So, and then there's a lot like I share openly about um, domestic violence and I had an abortion that was very hard for me. And once I, I got the response I got from that was really incredible. And a lot of women were writing me like, oh, I've never got to talk about this ever. So it's been held in for years and I feel like such a relief right now. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the thing about not talking to your significant other or close family or friends about serious issues in your life is super fat. It's just mind-blowingly interesting how someone can live 
for five, 10, 20, whatever years. And it's odd when you'll get in a conversation with someone where you realize that, that there's this huge part of their life they haven't shared with someone extremely close or maybe everyone. And it's like potentially a life changing issue and it's, and mm-hmm. they just won't bring it up. It's yeah, it is. It's Cause it's, it's like, it's like trapping that part of yourself in like solitary confinement. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty wild. It's pretty, it's definitely. Um, okay, I have I have another specific thing from your, uh, was in your bio that just I found interesting. It was the you said you it was maybe the first time you did psychedelics. That the only thing you wrote about it, I'm sure there are a lot of other things, was that you found it completely absurd that you were wearing hair extensions. You're on presumably some substance where you're having this experience and you're going like why the fuck am i wearing hair extensions like what was that about why was that such a big deal for you oh, wow. yeah i actually removed the extensions while i was on psychedelics hopefully it was a clean removal but okay yeah so it was okay but it's good um so for many years like growing up in canada i can say i was very Uh, I didn't grow up with a lot of money, so from a young age, I was really obsessed with acquiring as much money as possible, and I was very materialistic, so I wanted, and I wanted to be as beautiful as I possibly could, because these are all the things in society that society tells us will make us happy, so this is what I was chasing, and I was lucky enough to find out at a young age that that's not what was going to make me happy, so then I went on this, like, journey around the world and trying to figure out what would make me happy and like so this led me to try psychedelics which were really healing for me i won't recommend them for everyone but they can be deeply (laughs) healing yeah and the thing with psychedelics or lsd is what i was on at the time was um it almost immediately dissolves the ego so if you sit and think about different situations, you're approaching it now with no ego. So that's why it was healing for me because I could look back on past relationships or things that I didn't handle well in my life. And with no ego, I could, oh, that's how I could have managed it better. And then I just, I felt like for a long time, I was trying to disconnect from all of the societal conditioning I had as a young woman. And that's not easy. So it was really taking me years to do. And um, at that moment, I felt like my extensions were the last thing that was holding me on to that (laughs) material world. (laughs) Yeah. So they had to go right away. And it was a really symbolic and liberating moment for me. (laughs) But I can say that at the point I'm in in my life now, I've learned that you can still want to look at physically attractive and still want to be successful in life, but in a healthy way. So I think it's okay to want those things and to like in Tantra, we believe that everything in this moment is divine, everything in this physical world. And it's not something to step away from like a lot of spiritual practices do, but rather to embrace. So if I want to look like a mermaid and wear hair extensions, I can. Like, <laughs> it's yeah. basically just not like over, overly identifying with those things, it, even money too, like not um, becoming too attached or identified with it. Nice. So maybe have fun with it and play with it, but not take it too seriously. 
Yeah, just play with it. Um, as Ram Dass said, we're just souls playing roles. So we can play those yeah. roles, just don't become too attached to them. <laughs> totally, totally agree, uh, 100%. So let's see, ask about the workshops. I wanna get some more advice for the yoga teachers, but I have a couple more non-related questions first. Um, so you talk about yoga as giving you the strength to walk away from a lot of things that were negative in your life. I think you even said it was like literally the one thing that got you through many difficult points. So I've actually noticed this a lot. Uh, probably more friends I have that are women that are really into yoga, but quite a few men too. Uh, <laughs> quite a few, a lot of guys has in the military with, it's like this weird subculture that they <laughs> love, love, love setting up these yoga camps at uh, some of these, these bases overseas, good times. But Amazing. What is? Yeah, it's really funny. Uh, what is it about yoga though that's so transformative for people? Uh, yeah, what made you want to do it so long and such a big part of your life? Uh, well, I mean, in the West, we often relate yoga to the physical practice, but it's really a whole life. It's everything. It's a whole lifestyle to follow. So. Um, of course, you can strengthen your mind, body, and soul through yoga. But I think a really important thing now, because we have so many distractions with technology and work, everything in our lives, I think it's so important to, for meditation and yoga to sit with ourselves and be with our truth, our essence, our soul, whatever you want to call it, with looking, by looking within because you learn, you learn in Buddhism that everything in the physical world is not going to last. And as humans, we naturally want to attach to everything around us. But by staying within, we remember that that's where, that's where the everlasting the source is. So by remembering that, I think we're not going to attach to certain things. And for me, I fell so in love with yoga because it helped me through really one of my darkest periods where I was trying to get out of a very um, violent relationship and I was staying at a friend's basically in a dark room every day by myself and I was drinking a lot of alcohol because I didn't know how to deal with the trauma I had been through. So when I was sober, it all kind of washed over me, these emotions, and I just didn't know how to process them. So I drank. And that's when I started doing yoga. I had went to a couple classes before, and somehow it was just calling me at this point in my life. So it was really the only thing that was getting me out of bed for during that period. And I can think of one experience I had. I was doing yoga, and I was trying a new pose and I fell right on my head and <laughs> I basically blacked out for a second, but, oh, <laughs> but, then, um, but then I got up without thinking about it. And then I went and did the pose again and I did it. So, and I didn't think about it. And then later that day I was looking back on that and I was thinking like, what if I applied that mentality to my life right now? Like, yeah, I might try and I might fall on my head, but what if I just laughed and kept going and tried again, you know? So that was like a huge realization for me. And yeah, I was addicted to yoga ever since then. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, that's, it is. It seems like everyone I know that does it, it's like people that get really into running, they just have to. No mm-hmm. question. Have to. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. So I just want to get a little more advice for people that are trying to follow, follow your path. What, do you have any specific resources like books, blogs, mentors you suggest people look at or copy if they're trying to get into making yoga a profession or some sort of service around yoga? Oh, um, there's so many different paths of yoga that I think it depends which kind of path you want to take and what you want to teach. So right now I teach more Kundalini and Tantra. And of course I study like, um, teachers from before. So I think it's important to study authentic yoga. Of course, there's some really amazing recent teachers too, but I think it's important to study like the original texts, such as the yoga sutras of Patanjali, that's really important because there's a lot of yoga teachers now that don't even know about that and that's where yoga is originated from. So I think that's important and Yogi Bhajan was one that I studied a lot for Kundalini. Um, for resources, like, I don't, I don't know, I just, for me I read a lot of ancient yoga texts but then I also read like marketing and business. I think it's important to have a general understanding of those things if you want to be successful in yoga, because that's a part of it too. And like I said, some people don't approach it as much from a business because they kind of have that feeling like, oh, like it's not a business. I think a lot of teachers actually in the spiritual community kind of don't approach it in that way. So I think if you can watch some business, um, maybe YouTubes or podcasts, that would be helpful as well. Yeah, so start start getting into the the business and marketing a little bit. Yeah. Definitely. And then last thing is just uh I guess the fear the fear component again. Is there do you have any more advice for people on and overcoming fear or just trying to I guess the way I look at it is when you're trying to make a change, you always have that resistance. And I'm sure you've heard this, but usually or almost always it's because there's something you haven't acknowledged that you're really, really scared of. Uh, how do you help people to get over that? Whether it's your audience, your clients, what do you suggest? What has worked for you in your life? Uh, what has worked for me is like, I really think we need to discover ourselves and get a really clear vision of what we want. So when you have that clear vision and you've set up the steps to get there and you know how badly you want it, then I think it becomes a lot easier to go past that fear. And for me too, like I had a fear of speaking and now as you can see, like I'm talking okay. (laughs) But I honestly like couldn't do this just five years ago. Like I was really shy. I would choke on my words. And even now if I'm doing a speech or even like big classes, sometimes I get really nervous. And the way that I deal with that fear is... I know I found my divine purpose or my life's mission, whatever you want to call it. So I know that I'm here for a bigger purpose that's bigger than my fear. So me being a little bit scared about sharing my story isn't more important than sharing my story and helping the people that are listening. So that really is what works for me when I have that fear. Yeah. 
know, totally. I think finding some sort of higher calling to follow is definitely, definitely important. That's, that's great advice. Um, yeah. Well, I'm going to uh, cut the recording and we can chat after. Uh, you know, Crystal, I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you for giving people all your advice and sharing some of your story. Yeah, thank you so much for having me.